in Luke chapter number 16, beginning in verse number 19. The Bible says there was a rich man, a certain rich man, the Bible says, which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted. And thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I covet your prayers this morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need your help this morning. I need it every morning, but God, I need I need just a little more of a touch from You. God, I do not know the reasons why You predetermine these things to be preached and to be dealt with, Lord. But God, I know that You're perfect in all Your ways. And I know that there may be someone here this morning that in the very depths of their heart there is no Christ, there is no salvation. They do not know Your Son as their Savior. Lord, they may have all the religion that a man could ask for, but this morning, Lord, I covet that You'd vanquish their religion, that You'd shatter their pride, that You'd show them their need of Calvary, Lord, and show them that the only hope is Christ and Him crucified. Lord, burn in our hearts the reality of hell this morning. Help us to understand that it's an eternal place for those that die without Christ. God, we're trusting You to do what needs to be done, Lord. I'm committing it to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Luke chapter number 16 is probably one of the most solemn portions of Scripture found in the Word of God. I'll tell you what I believe about it and what the Bible teaches about it. It is not a parable. There's some that would have us to believe this is merely a parable given to teach a spiritual truth. But we find that as Christ teaches in parables, never once does He name a person's name. You see, if Christ was to name a name in a parable, He'd be telling a lie, wouldn't He? If He said, this happened to this person and it really hadn't happened, that'd be a lie. But we know that it's impossible for God to lie. That's what the Bible teaches us. 
We know that Christ did no sin and in Him was no sin and He knew no sin, so Christ never told a lie. And so we gather when we read this passage, when He tells us that there was a certain rich man, there was a certain rich man. And when He tells us that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, I believe there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. I've preached from this passage many times. It never gets any easier. Because I understand that as we're presented with this truth, if if a man does not know Christ, upon this truth hangs eternity for him. You see, the fact is, we're all going to make that decision either to accept Christ or to reject Him. You say, preacher, I don't want to make that decision. You will make that decision, just like I made it, just like every person makes it. They all make the decision whether to accept Christ or to reject Him. In Luke chapter number 16, we have in many ways a comparison given to us of a man that had accepted God and accepted the Lord and by faith trusted Him and a man that had neglected and procrastinated and put it off. And one of these days, you know, death came sooner than his next opportunity. And you know that one day you put it off long enough, neighbor, death will come sooner than your next opportunity. So we read in this passage and we're very drawn into the understanding that this is a real place. There's some that would have us to shy away from the topic of hell. And I know that this morning. I know, and you may say, well, nobody says hell isn't a real place. Well, there are some, but I'll tell you where you see the lack of belief in it is in the absence of it from our pulpits. It's not in the opposition of it from our pulpits. It's in the absence of it from our pulpits that you find uh, people drawing away from the idea of hell. But hell is a Bible doctrine. If we believe the Bible, we must believe in hell. If we believe in heaven, we must believe in hell, not because of a yin and a yang, and not because of a universal karma, but because the same Bible that teaches me of heaven teaches me of hell. The same Bible that teaches me of Christ and Him crucified teaches me that the man that dies without a sure knowledge of Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior, dies and spends an eternity in hell. The same book teaches me both things. If I'm going to believe John 3.16, I better believe Luke chapter 16. If I'm going to believe Romans chapter 5, I better believe uh, Luke chapter number 16. If I'm going to believe Revelation uh, chapter 21, I, I better believe uh, Luke chapter number 16. As I read this passage, I'm struck by the reality of hell. The word hell is recorded 15 times in the Gospels alone. Every time it's spoken, it's, it's dropped from the very divine lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I could give you the references. In fact, I will in Matthew 5.22 and 5.29 and 5.30 and 10.28 and 11.23 and 16.18 and 18.9 and 23.15 and 23.33. It's mentioned. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 43, 9 and verse 45, 9 and verse 47, it's mentioned. In Luke chapter number 10 and verse 15, 12 and verse 5 and 16 and verse 23, the word hell is mentioned. It's mentioned as a real, literal place. It's not a frame of mind that the lost dead enter into, but it is a real place spoken of in the Word of God. The Bible teaches us at a place of flame and fire and torment. There's some that would have us to believe that hell is not a literal place of flame and fire. But to them, I would say, what are you going to do with Mark chapter number 9 and verse 43 and 44? Christ speaking, said, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. You say, what does fire mean? Fire means fire. <laughs> 
Fire means fire. It means the same thing there that it means in every other passage. Fire means fire. We find that both of these men died. Death comes to all. Say, I'm young. It doesn't matter. Death comes to all. Say, I'm healthy. It doesn't matter. Death comes to all. It's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. You'll face death. The only one of those that will rob death of its sting is those that have been washed in the blood of Christ and are raptured out at His coming. But everyone else will face death. You will face death. And these two men died from very vastly different social circumstances, vastly different economical uh, standpoints, probably vastly different political standpoints, but both these men met in death. And the Bible tells us that when Lazarus died, he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. I'm not here to give you a long exposition about Abraham's bosom and the place of the uh, sainted dead uh, before Christ's death on Calvary, but suffice it to say that what Abraham's bosom was for the Old Testament saints, heaven is for us today. There's a lot of similarities, and that's where those that have died in Christ go, is to heaven at this time. The Bible teaches that Lazarus was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. Verse 23 sends chills to my very soul. The Bible says, and in hell, speaking of the rich man, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. The terrifying thing to me about hell this morning is not its flames, although those are terrifying. It's not the company that you keep in hell. The Bible speaks of uh, rapists and murderers and idolaters and all these that that dwell in hell. It's not the loneliness that might be perceived in hell. It's not the separation from loved ones that would be in hell. But to me, the most startling truth about hell is the time span which encompasses it. Do you realize that to this day, if we could pull back the charred walls of the damned and peer into the domain of the departed dead that were di- that died without Christ, do you know there'd be a certain rich man there today? A certain rich man would be there today. You say, what's his name, preacher? I don't know his name. The Bible does not tell us. We find in the historical context of this passage that Christ is confounding the Pharisees as He did so many times. He's disproving their theories about what religion and what faith really is. And very likely, Him being a rich man which fared sumptuously in a society such as Jewish society at that time in which the political and the uh, religious were so uh, closely tied. Most of the wealthy men in society would have been in high religious circles. And He was speaking to the Pharisees. Very probably if He had called His name, those men would have known who it was. But he just says a certain rich man. If we were to look into God's heaven today, we'd see a man named Lazarus. But if we were to look in a devil's hell today, we'd see a certain rich man. Two thousand years have passed. Two thousand years. And it's not even a drop in a bucket. Two thousand years have passed and still the flames burn. Two thousand years have passed and still he's in torment. Am I getting across this morning? After two thousand years, this man is still in hell today. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. As I look at this passage, I see after two thousand years, three things. I don't know what to do, but just to give it to you, so you bear with me. After two thousand years, this man is still writhing in pain. 
The Bible teaches us that hell is a place of physical torment. The Bible teaches us that the lake of fire will be a place of physical torment. A place is not just a uh, state uh, of annihilation as the Seventh-day Adventists teach us. It's, it's, it's not uh, just a non-existent place as the Jehovah's Witnesses try to teach us. But hell is a real literal place. Men and women are there today, church. They're there today. People you've known in your lifetime are probably there today. Today. And in 2,000 years, they'll still be there. In 2,000 years, the flames will still burn hot. In 2,000 years, they'll still be in torment. We find that He's still writhing in pain today. He's writhing in pain, the Bible teaches us, without relief. The rich man in hell lifted up his eyes and he looked at Abraham. He said, Abraham, send Lazarus to me, that he may dip the tip of his finger in cool water. Just touch it to my tongue. He wasn't asking to take a bath. He wasn't asking for a cup of cold water. But this rich man asked simply that a drop of water be placed upon his tongue. Just even the smallest, minute ounce of relief would be afforded to him in this torment. Abraham said there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot and they that would pass from thence to us cannot. Hell is a place of no relief. Do you hear me this morning? There's no bartering. There's no praying. Let me tell you something, neighbor. You may not want to pray today. You may be lost and undone, and you may not want to pray today. But there'll come a day when you'll wish you could pray to the God of heaven for relief from the flames of this place. You say, preacher, you're trying to scare me. Let me tell you something. If I could, it'd be well worth it. Well worth it. But I know I can't scare you into getting saved, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to love you enough to face you with the reality of this awful place the Bible teaches explicitly. I'll tell you why we don't see souls saved in this day. I'll tell you why we don't see churches revived. I'll tell you why we don't see people won to Christ. It's because we've thrown out the doctrine of hell. We've thrown out the truth of the punitive departure of the damned into a place called hell. It's a place with no relief. After 2,000 years, a drop of cool water has never touched that man's tongue. After 2,000 years, there's never been a moment of relief for him, taken out of the flames, gone away from that. Never once. There's never been a time of relief. Hell's not only a place of no relief, but it's a place of no release. All those riches he had piled up, he cannot spend to get his way out of hell. Listen to me, there's one place where repentance means nothing, and that's in hell. Too little, too late. You say, oh, but we have a loving God. Yeah, we do. We do, neighbor. We have a God that loved us enough to send His only begotten Son to die on a rugged cross and bear the sin of the world to keep us out of that place. But God's holiness must be vindicated. We've sinned. Against God. And if we reject His Son, listen to me, if we reject His Son, there is no hope for you today if you reject His Son. None. That's the only hope that you have is to call on the name of Jesus Christ. Ask forgiveness of your sins by His blood, by His grace. That is the only hope that you have this morning. That's the only thing that will avail. It's the only thing. It's a place of no relief. It's a place of no release. You might say, well, there's one release. 
Let me give you a little theological thought. There will be one time, and I do not know when, but there will be one time that the rich man will be plucked someday out of the pit of hell for one specific purpose. Listen to what the book of Revelation says in chapter 20. John writing says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. You say, does that mean saved people? No, the saved have already been uh, judged at the judgment seat of Christ. We're not dead. We've been quickened from our sins. Those that have been dead, those that are dead in their sins and trespasses, those that have died without Christ. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. There will be a day when that rich man will be plucked by divine hand out of the flames of hell, only to be set before the great white throne judgment of God. He's not there to decide his destiny. He's already been weighed in the balances and found wanting. This is a procedural trial. You see, he's already been found lost and undone because he rejected Christ. He's not there to weigh his good works against his bad works. He's there to weigh just his bad works. He's not there to determine whether he's going to be cast in the lake of fire. He is going to be cast in the lake of fire. This is just God showing him the books and showing him why he's going. The Bible says there were books there. I wonder what it would be like to look into those books. There's other books for the saved. They'll answer for the things at the judgment seat of Christ. What will your book read? Do you hear me? I'm talking to the saved this morning. What will your book read? I wonder, I wonder if your name won't come up in some of the books that are opened at this judgment. I wonder if there won't be some entries like this on such and such a day. So and so gave you the gospel, but you rejected it. On, on such and such day, so and so preached the word of God to you. So and so was praying for you, but you rejected the wooing power of the Holy Spirit and you cast off the gospel and grace of God and pushed away the offer for redemption. Your name might appear in those books. I wonder how many of you have co-workers that your name won't be found on any of those pages when they stand before God. I wonder if any of us have children that our name won't appear on those pages. I wonder if any of us have family, our name won't appear on those pages. Wouldn't you like to look in those books? But there's a book that's more important than those books. The Bible says it's the book of life. It contains within it the name of every single blood-washed, born-again believer. Those that have come to know Christ as their Savior. The Bible says that this book, as they search for the name, if your name is not found there, and we know that everyone that is standing at this judgment, their name won't be found there. But when we get to that place, your name is not found. The Bible tells us very clearly what happens. The Bible says, And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written 
in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I believe that literally this morning, church. I don't spiritualize that. I believe that's literally going to happen. Do you hear me? I believe there'll come a day when those that are lost and undone will stand before an almighty God. And in soul agonizing waiting, they'll sit there while their name is looked for. We've heard the songs. We've heard the poems. I don't know that it even bears saying again, but I'll say it anyway. I'm sure there'll be some that'll cry out, would you look again? My name has to be there. You say, that's not scriptural. Sure it is. Sure it is. Christ said there'd be some that would say, Lord, Lord. We prophesied in thy name. We cast out devils in thy name. He'll say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Where do you think that pleading is going to take place? As they stand before that great and mighty throne from which heaven and earth will flee away at that place of magnitude beyond the human understanding and they hear that their name is not found, they'll say, Lord, Lord, look again, look again, look again. Surely my name is there. I was in church. Surely my name is there. I was baptized. Surely my name was there. I had a praying mama and daddy. Surely my name is there. Surely my name is there. The Lord will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. You may say you know him. Does he know you? You see, you can know somebody without them knowing you, and that's not a relationship. But if you know someone and they know you, that's a relationship. And there's going to be people who's going to die and go to hell that, that thought they were on good standing with God for a multitude of things. But God, they're going to get to the great white throne judgment. God's going to say, you thought you were okay, but according to my word, you had never accepted me. Your pride got in the way. Your sin got in the way. You refused. You refused. You refused. And now I'm refusing you. There will come a day when it's too late. There will be one release when they're brought out of hell only to be judged and cast into the lake of fire. He's still writhing in pain. Don't you notice the second thing? He's still remembering his past today. Abraham said, son, remember. Oh, that sin's cold chills over me. Oh, what an awful thought. Throughout, throughout the eternity of hell, we would remember. Throughout the eternity of hell, we would recall. But Abraham, it's right there. Look in your Bible. It's right there in ink on the paper. It says, remember, remember, remember. What's he remembering? I want to say that first off, he's remembering life's comforts. Remember that thou in thy life receivest good things. What do you reckon that Abraham's saying to him? I think he's saying, where would you think those good things came from? The Bible says the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance. I think he's trying to get that rich man to think back on the blessings of his life and ask himself, where did those things come from? As I look around, I, I, I guess every one of us walked into this building today. I can't see a single person that didn't. Where do you think those good legs came from? I look around, everybody seems to be breathing and alive. Where do you think that life came from? Probably most of you will leave this place, go to a warm restaurant or a warm home, and see food spread out on a table for you. 
Where do you think that came from? Remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things. Can I say to you that God has been good to us? Not only the saved, but the unsaved. The only reason a man draws a breath in life, the only thing... What do you think makes that heart pump? What do you think makes that brain work? What do you think makes that body function? You say, well, science teaches. Yeah, but who's teaching science? Amen? They can tell you what it does, but at the end of the day, they can't tell you why it does it. If they could, they could recreate it, but they can't. What do you think makes that happen? Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Listen to me. I believe he was reminded of life's comforts. But I believe to this day he's remembering Lazarus's cautions. He said, I want you to remember your life and I want you to remember Lazarus. wonder why that is. You let me use a little sanctified imagination here. Lazarus sat every day by that rich man's gate and begged for crumbs. That rich man saw the dogs come by and lick his sores. But I don't believe Lazarus was a silent witness. You see, I believe that there was some times that probably that rich man went to walk through his gate. That Lazarus, that, that poor senile beggar, cried out and said, Sir, repent. Sir, turn towards God. Sir, believe on Him. Sir, turn from your sins. I think Lazarus probably warned him. I think that what Abraham is saying is he's saying, Rich man, I want you to remember that God has blessed you, but I want you to remember that God has given you plenty of warnings too. There'll come a day we're going to remember. We're going to remember every single gospel witness that was ever in our life. There'll come a day in the torments of hell when you'll think back to that person that gave you a gospel track. There'll come a day... In hell, when you'll look back and remember that mother that prayed for you or that father that prayed for you, there'll come a day when you'll look back and it'll be called into question at the judgment. But I believe it'll be called into question in our minds as we think back over what God has done to keep us from going to hell. And we've bucked against it. We've kicked against the pricks and we've pushed Him away. There'll come a day you'll answer for those things. He's still remembering. There'll come a day you'll remember this day. There'll be a day when you're going to stand before an Almighty God in this day. The 28th. 28th, is that right? April 28th, 2013 will ring in your mind as a day you heard a sermon on hell. There'll be a day. April 21st, 2013 will ring in your mind as a day you heard a sermon on grace. Every sermon you've ever heard, listen to me, neighbor, every sermon you've ever heard will come back to haunt your very soul as you remember the cautions God gave you, the times God warned you, and the times God made it real to your very soul that hell was a real place and that Christ really died for your sins. I believe He's still remembering His past. I want to give you one last thing. I'm going to hush. I believe to this day this rich man is still writhing in pain. I believe to this day that this rich man is still remembering his past. But I believe to this day this rich man is still regretting his procrastination. 
with the capacity to remember is preserve the capacity to regret. We regret things because we remember them. I believe to this day that this man is still regretting that he put it off. Isn't it funny how excuses are so easy to find when we need them? But when we realize that they weren't what we needed, we can't find one anywhere. I believe he's regretting his procrastination in two things. And I'm going to hush, I promise. I believe he's regretting his procrastination in turning to God. You know what he said? He said, go back and warn my five brethren, lest they also come into this place of torment. I believe that this rich man regretted every single day from then to now and from now to eternity. Listen to me, are you getting me? I'm not saying he did regret it. I'm saying this morning in hell, this rich man cries out and says, Oh, that I had turned to God when I had a chance to do so. Could we pull back the window of hell? That's what we'd see this morning. Hell would be populated with nothing but turn back signs posted from the very souls of the damned as they said, don't come into this place. Don't come into this place. Don't come into this place. I wish I had never come here. I wish I had accepted His grace. I wish I had called on His name. I wish I hadn't been so prideful. I wish I hadn't been so stubborn. I wish I hadn't been so obstinate. I wish I hadn't played church. I wish I hadn't played games with God. I wish I had taken it seriously when the truth of the gospel was presented to me. I wish I had turned to God. Oh, I wish I had turned to God. Oh, I wish I had repented of my sins and called on His name. God, I tell you, don't make that mistake today. How many times does it have to be said before it sinks into our souls that we'll give an account to God? How many times does it have to be said before it becomes real to us and we get serious about eternity and serious about our soul state and serious about where we're going when we die? How many times? I'll give you one last thing. I believe that he's still regretting, still regretting his procrastination in turning to God. But I believe he's still this day regretting his procrastination in telling others, telling others about this place called hell. If you're not a soul winner now, five minutes in hell will make you one. You know what the first thing he said was? After he had pleaded for his comfort, he said, Abraham, I've got five brothers. I've got five brothers. They're headed to this place unless somebody does something. Abraham, you've got to send somebody to warn my family. You've got to warn my brothers. You've got to warn my family. You've got to send someone to keep them from coming into this place. Oh, Abraham, please, please. I wonder how many of our family members and friends and co-workers... Hey, listen, neighbor, I'm not even going to... I wonder how many people whose blood will be on our hands will be in hell because we were unwilling to tell them. I wonder how many. Did you ever stop... Probably not, because we don't like to do this. But did you ever stop and think about how many people God has put in your watch care? Have you ever stopped and thought about how many people God has given you a door of utterance with? God has given you a, a, a scope of influence over. How many people in your life you have opportunity to give the gospel to? 
And then thought about all the blood that's going to be on your hands one day as you stand before God. Oh, all your petty excuses. will The wind will drive it away as chaff. I wasn't feeling well that day. You ever, you ever made an excuse that made you sick? I'm not trying to be self-righteous. I'm not trying to be to be judgmental neighbor. But when I say that, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about there's been times that's been my excuse. It about makes me want to vomit. I didn't feel well today. How heartless of a soul must we be? We let a person die and go to hell because we didn't feel well that day. I didn't want to hurt our friendship. It's not friendship until you tell them that great and good news. Maybe an acquaintance. But don't you dare call someone your friend if you don't love them enough to give them the truth of the gospel. Don't you dare call them a friend. You don't love them. You hear me? You don't love them. You don't love them enough to tell them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the excuses the wind will drive away as the chaff and they'll mean nothing and they'll vanish and they'll flee. They'll flee just as heaven and earth did from the face of that great God of heaven that sits in judgment of us. They'll mean nothing. This rich man said, I've got five brothers. Somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them. You know what Moses' reply, or Abraham's reply was? Abraham said, they have the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. Let me tell you one place, one place where a copy of the Word of God ain't going to be found. And that's in hell. Let me tell you one place where an opportunity to witness is never going to be found. That's in hell. Let me tell you one place where, where praying for the power of the Holy Ghost to witness to others is never going to be found. And that's in hell. You know what Abraham saying? Abraham saying is you missed your chance. They have the Word of God same as you had the Word of God. God's dealing with them same as He's dealt with you. And if you wanted to be a witness to Him, you've lost your chance. He said, well, what if one went from the dead to them? Let me show you the wicked pride in the lost man's heart. And it's in the saved man's heart too. Don't misunderstand me. But let me just show you how wicked it is. God's already sent one back from the dead to them. God's already sent one back from the dead to them. And you know what the lost man says? The lost man says, prove it to me. And let me tell you something, neighbor. One day God will. One day God will prove to them. One day God will prove to them the resurrection as they stand before God. One day God will prove to them the truth and purity of His Word as they're judged by it. One day God will prove it to them, but by then it's going to be too late. I don't want anybody in this room to die and go to hell. I don't want anybody outside of this room to die and go to hell, but I haven't got them in here right now. I've got you in here right now. I don't know why God gives these messages, but I know He has purpose. And I tell you this, you can put it off again if you want. You know what the devil needs? You know what the devil the devil does not need to get you put it off thirty years at a time. Am I right? Some of you old timers tell me. Some of you old timers that, that that got saved at a later age in your life. Did you put it off ten years at a time? No. You put it off one day at a time. One day at a time. Oh, uh, not today. Maybe the next time the preacher witnesses. Maybe the next time, maybe next Easter when I'm in church. Maybe the next time that I'm feeling weak and vulnerable. Maybe next time. 
That's all the devil needs. All the devil needs is to get you put off one day. Because you know why? He's consistent. The next day he'll have you do it again. And some of you may be here today lost and on your way to hell, and you're going to get there one day at a time and make it just as sure as if you was dropped into that fiery pit today. But some of you are going to make the decision to turn to Christ today. I hope that you do. And you don't have to leave this place wondering. After 2,000 years, this man in hell is still just as conscious as he's ever been. If we could get to him, he could speak to us right now. That's reality. He could speak to us. You know what he'd say? He'd say, whatever else you do in life, make sure, make sure that you never come to this place. Never, never, ever come to this place.